Well, hello, Jess. Hi, Chris. Welcome back to the podcast chamber once yes. again. <laughs> it's safe. It is a sanitized chamber. We're being as safe as possible. Yeah, we're in the same room together, but we're physically, socially distanced. There you go. And so we're trying to do our best. I wonder when we listen to this in like five years time, like if we're still alive, we'll be like, oh yeah, we had to do that back then. That's a big if. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you everyone for listening today and thank you Jess for being here. Mm -hmm. What we are doing today um, in just a moment after we eat a snack is we're going to try and present uh, the, the case of the death of Jesus in kind of like the true crime podcasty yeah. way. Uh, <laughs> those are the most popular podcasts out mm -hmm. there and so we want to kind of lampoon them in this a little way but just kind of use that as an interesting medium to communicate the meaning of Jesus' death. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we hope that you'll enjoy it. Now, what I also hope will be enjoyable is a snack that I've prepared today. <laughs> it smells good, I'll give you that. Thank um. you, thank you. <laughs> Now, I am a huge advocate for Vegemite. Okay. Vegemite is one of those things that's notorious. People think it's disgusting. <laughs> I think it's disgusting. People in North America think it's disgusting. People outside of North America, I mean, places I've lived, <clears throat> they love Vegemite. They okay. think it's great. You so, want to just explain what it is? I see it mm. as like this brown, it's made out of like some weird grain or something. And it's, it has a bitter taste, but I don't actually know what it is. It's difficult to explain what it is. Uh, basically, though, it's um, yeast extract. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So they they let uh, vegetables kind of uh, get inoculated with yeast, and then Vegemite's kind of a byproduct of that okay. process. Okay. That's the sanitary explanation <laughs> for what Vegemite is. But it's one of those things like you don't want to open yeah, that Yeah, you don't door. want to go to. Okay, yeah. sure. <laughs> But uh, people hate Vegemite, and I can't. Uh, I hate that because I think it's great okay. and I think the reason that people hate Vegemite largely is because they don't understand it and mm -hmm. so when they try it their expectation of what it's supposed to taste like is totally different from what it actually does taste like mm -hmm. and so in, you're never going to have a good experience in that in that kind of context and also they end up like just eating it the wrong way they put a big <laughs> spoonful in their mouth It's kind of like mustard. Like if you have no idea what mustard is and you mm -hmm. think it's going to be something and you take a big spoonful and stick it in your mouth, you're going to have a horrible time. That's a mistake, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> Vegemite's not, it's supposed to be eaten like as a condiment. It's supposed to be a, a small amount uh, okay. on your toast in the morning or on your sandwich or okay. something like that. So what I prepared is a Vegemite sandwich, but also I put some mozzarella cheese in it. I'm so Growing excited. Up, my mom would make me cheese and Vegemite sandwiches oh gosh, for lunch here. at school. I and can so, see the Vegemite. It's yeah, here. It's great. It's happening. Okay. You guys, I'll actually say it smells good and the cheese looks all right, but I'm trying to not look at the <laughs> other bit. <laughs> you are going to like it, I'm sure. Yeah? You okay. Are. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. This reminds me of childhood. <laughs> When I swallow it, it's like a bit difficult, but I'm not mad. <laughs> that okay. makes sense. I'm not mad. Yeah. <laughs> Is it better than you expected? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's because, oh, it's really salty. Yeah. And that goes well with the cheese. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I've tried worse things on this podcast. That's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> 
I, I think that yeah, mm. people, a lot more people would like Vegemite if they if they ate it the right way, and this is a good way to eat it. Yeah. Hit me up if you want a recipe. <laughs> <laughs> it's three things: <laughs> bread, margarine, and like cheese, basically with the Vegemite. Vegemite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. No, I like it. Yes. Yeah, you convinced me. I was I was wrong to think that Vegemite was awful. It's actually good when done in the right way. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you want to get on with uh, the topic for today? Who killed Jesus? Tell us, Chris. Who killed Jesus? <laughs> the ancient mystery. Mm. <laughs> so, what we need to do is begin, as we should, by examining the facts. Right. What facts do we know surrounding the case of Jesus? Okay. So, one fact is, is despite what some people today might think, it is a historically undisputed fact that Jesus Christ was a real historical figure who actually lived uh, around the time that, you know, the, the Bible claims he did in the area. Uh, and a lot of the... the the facts of his life, his birth, his upbringing, his nationality, blah, blah. These are undisputed facts. Yeah. I think you don't have to be a Christian to, like, realize that that's, that's a fact, like you're saying. Like, it is. Yeah. There are other bits of history that, like, point to that for sure. So. People need to know that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even though it's among historians, that's undisputed. Among culture today, I've, <laughs> I have met a lot of people who d- deny that idea. Yeah, yeah. Or question that idea. Oh, it's fine to question, but like when you do your own research, you'll come exactly. across the fact that, okay, there was this person called Jesus in history at some point he did live. So yeah. That's fact number one. That he really existed. Yeah. Fact number two, again, historically, virtually beyond dispute, is that he died on a cross. Okay. That he, he didn't die of natural causes. He was executed on a cross under, a Roman, under the Roman method of, of execution. So we know that we know his cause of death mm-hmm. from that perspective, and we know therefore it begs the question: Why? Why did he die this okay. way? Yeah. Why was his life cut off the way that he did? Interestingly, if you actually uh, look up a guy named Gary Habermas, he has some great teaching on another what he would claim is an undisputable historical fact. He would say, given the weight of evidence. That, it, that secular scholars will agree that it's also an undisputable fact that Jesus appeared alive again after his crucifixion. That's really cool. Very interesting. <laughs> Just on the bare faith. Now, they, yeah. secular scholars will explain it away. Okay. And, and you know, you're saying, well, you know, this or that. But just as a bare-faced fact that he appeared again alive after his crucifixion mm-hmm. should be considered an undisputable fact as okay. well. Okay. But that's uh, that's beyond the scope of what we're looking at today. <laughs> we're going to need a lot more Vegemite to cover that aspect <laughs> of. <laughs> but the reason we want to do this is because if we understand the accusation that led to his death, and if we understand the reasoning uh, behind that accusation, then it can actually lead us to a greater understanding of why he died and why his resurrection is so important. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it's easy to say that, well, they misunderstood what he was saying or they misunderstood who he was. And we kind of dismiss the importance of their claims. But by understanding the importance of their accusations, we can see the way that 
it was pretty much inevitable that this would have happened. Oh, yeah, okay. It was inevitable that Jesus would come into conflict with uh, the, the world, the way it was. Mm -hmm. And we can see that the way that his resurrection is a huge signpost that undermines these accusations. And so by understanding the accusations, we can actually further understand the meaning of the resurrection as well. Mm -hmm. So there's an importance here to yeah. it as well. Yeah. So when we're asking the question, who killed Jesus and why did they kill Jesus? This isn't just a historically valid question. It's a spiritually valid question mm -hmm. as well. So what is one that would come to mind? Why did Jesus, why did Jesus die? He was out here saying a bunch of things that people disagreed with. And um, I think it's like you could um, describe that as like rebellion. Like there were certain, I guess like him being Jewish and being occupied by other people. Like there was, there was this box he was supposed to fit into. And when he didn't do that, when he chose to rebel, then that led, as you were saying, like inevitably to people noticing that um, and people executing him. So yeah, I would say because he was a rebel. Is that yeah. one of the reasons? <laughs> sure. Like, he died as a, you know, you think about when he died, what did they nail above his head? Oh, yeah, a crown of thorns. And? What was the sign? Oh, yeah, oh, they were like, oh, king of the Jews. King like, of the Jews, yeah, right? Yeah. So he dies as uh, someone who claimed to be king mm -hmm. in their eyes. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you're under Caesar. You don't get to be your own king. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes no sense, actually, if you think about it. You can't, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so one of the ways that he dies is he is executed as a rebel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting because the, the, the fact, not the fact, excuse me, the, um, the accusation that sparks it all off is that he's a blasphemer. Okay. But the, the way of killing a blasphemer, the method of execution, if it was a religious offense, was stoning them to death. You even look at the New Testament, at the book of Acts, where Stephen is killed. Mm -hmm. It's by stoning. Okay. Uh, stoning was still practiced in that time. Uh, gruesome and horrific as it was, it was, a, it was a way of executing. But Jesus doesn't just get executed, he gets put on a cross. Right. Which brings a political element. Yeah, yeah. It's like he doesn't just die as a blasphemer. They tried to bring up a charge against him that he was, uh, he was a political figure that was establishing a political regime. When you say blasphemer, if we could backtrack for a bit, what do you, that's not a word we use every day. Like, what do you mean by, like, as a blasphemer? Sure. I mean, if you look at the, the New Testament Gospels, mm -hmm. I would say virtually on every page, almost in every story, Jesus is claiming or acting with some kind of unparalleled authority. Okay. He okay. is claiming for himself the ability to say certain things, uh, the, he's doing certain things that was simply not done at that time. The, the, the religious leaders of the time considered themselves under the teaching of Moses, under the teaching of the Torah, and Jesus is coming and he's forgiving sins. Mm -hmm. He's doing miracles that uh, show that he has a tremendous amount of God-given authority. Mm -hmm. He is claiming that there's a way of righteousness aside from what the Pharisees and the religious teachers are saying. Mm -hmm. and, and a path different from theirs. Okay. Okay. He's saying some extraordinarily, for them, inflammatory things. Yeah, yeah. And what people point to as the real kind of point of no return was when he drove out the money changers from the temple. Okay. 
At that point, he essentially put himself on a collision course with the religious establishment. They were forced to deal with him. Mm -hmm. They were forced to figure out what to do about this Jesus guy. He's essentially a blasphemer in the sense, there's, there's two definitions of blasphemy. One is when you curse God. Mm -hmm. That's not what they mean. But the second is when you kind of self-deify, when you claim to be God, right. when you claim to be godly in a, you know, in a, in a spiritual sense. Mm -hmm. And that's what they put him up against. He claimed to have divine authority and so he claimed to be equal with God. Mm -hmm. And so that is blasphemy. Okay. And if it's not true, it is blasphemy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're not wrong. <laughs> and that's a good point, though. Like, they're not... If, it's, if he wasn't who he said he was, then they were right. He is a blasphemer. Mm -hmm. If mm -hmm. someone today claimed to be God, they would be a blasphemer, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so they're not wrong by the claim saying, this fits the category of blasphemy, if he's not who he says he is. Yeah. When, you, when Jesus is labeled a blasphemer, it boils down the conflict to who's right. Are they okay. right, yeah. or is Jesus right? Right. <laughs> because it, it brings the sort of, the tr it's the trial between Jesus and the religious establishment. Their, their conception of who God is, of what righteousness is, uh, their conception of what the kingdom life entails versus his. Mm -hmm. And so when he is sentenced to death and he is cr crucified, at that moment it seemed to be like they've won. Like, because there was a lot of um, sort of religious symbolism in crucifixion, uh, especially for the Jews. The idea of someone who died that way was considered accursed by God. Mm -hmm. There is no way that a righteous person would be crucified. Mm -hmm. It was the most horrific, gruesome death, which I think is part of the reason why they pushed for it, is they really wanted to stamp this guy's memory into the dust and to make it seem like anyone who follows him is crazy for following him. They wanted to highlight the severity of the crime. I, I guess, um, yeah, if, you, if it just, if the story ended there type of thing, then it totally looks like they're right. Like if he really isn't God and he's really going around saying these crazy things, then I guess, yeah, it's almost the appropriate response because you don't want people following some guy who's yeah. just crazy making up these things. So if the story ended there, it would definitely make sense to have such a, a gruesome way to like put a stop to, to what he was doing. Yeah, because one of the alternatives uh, is if he is wrong, and he's knowingly deceiving people. Yeah. He is wickedly evil. That's not nice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. He is wickedly evil, deserving of, like, the book to be thrown at him, mm -hmm. in a sense, you know. Mm -hmm. Willing, you know, should be made an example of, in yeah. a sense. Yeah. And so we need to understand that idea. We need to understand that the gravity of what Jesus was saying was really a lot. Mm -hmm. Because by understanding this accusation, we were forced into this position, same as the, the Jewish leaders of, what do we do about this man? We can't yeah. do nothing about him. Mm -hmm. We can't ignore him. These things cannot be ignored. And we too can't ignore it. Mm -hmm. We can't ignore the words of Jesus. We have to decide what to do about him. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're forced into making a decision as well, as they were. And so when you look at the death, it's the decision that they came to. This is how we're going to deal with him. This is the reason he has to die. 
because this is what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The resurrection then becomes the vindication of his claims. What does... Hold on. (laughs) Sure. Vindication. Say that in English. (laughs) (laughs) Vindication means uh, when somebody is accusing you of something... Of like being God, for example. (laughs) Exactly. And you seem to be in the wrong, Mm -hmm. but then some evidence comes to light or some witness comes to testify and, and it corroborates or backs up your story. Okay. It, it, it shows you to be the innocent one. Okay. And it just changes the script. Okay. Yeah. All of a sudden, that accusation cannot bear any weight anymore. I see. Yeah. So you're shown to be right. You're shown that your words were true mm. and that your character was innocent. Okay. okay. That's what vindication means. Nice. Nice. And so the resurrection is God's vindication of Jesus. Because God raises Jesus from the from the dead, there's no way God would do that for an unrighteous person. Mm. So it's it's like the it's a vindication in the sense of God saying he actually is who he says he is. Exactly. Okay. okay. Because the religious leaders are acting as God's representatives. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they're saying we represent what God is like or we we're here to tell you what god is like and what god wants you to do mm-hmm. so they're, they they are assuming to represent god mm-hmm. and then you have an act of god that totally co- contradicts what they've just said suddenly you see oh no they're not to be believed mm-hmm. this man's to be believed because god has shown who his true representative is oh okay so we need to understand that. Like the first way that Jesus died, he dies as a blasphemer. Yeah. He dies under the charge of blasphemy. Mm-hmm. And the more we understand why that happened, the stronger we see God's resounding vindication of Jesus and how important that is. Okay. And so to understand that charge helps us to understand that we need to do something about Jesus too. We need to take his words seriously and to figure out what we think about him but also see it in light of his resurrection and what that means too. The second, uh, oh, go for Real it. quick, like, um, it's, I feel like, uh, I don't know, I feel like I'm in a room and there's like a trial and I'm on the jury and it's like, oh, he's guilty, yes, put him to death, like you can't be out here making claims, but then the, the vindication happens and you're right, like if the jury was going on this um, this belief that like, okay, this person is guilty, but then this new evidence come up, it's true, like as a person sitting there, you're like, what's going on, like what am I supposed to do about this? Um, exactly. I think in the context that I've grown up, like people have heard these things, but it's like, oh yeah, but how does it actually affect my life today? But thinking about it as like a court case, as like a true crime, who did this, really does put you in a position when you're like oh yeah I better do something about it because this is crazy like one minute he's guilty one minute God says he's not like what do we do so yeah (laughs) the second uh, cause of death if you could call it that (laughs) um, is around the question of why was it death on a cross okay and like we said before it brings this political element to it he's he's executed as king of the Jews Mm. and and it's a deriding term like they don't they, they don't believe that he's the king of the Jews. They, they, they're saying, this is what happens to you if you think you're the king of the Jews, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, it's apparent throughout his life that he's going to come into conflict with the political entities. Jesus wouldn't, I don't think he really ever presented himself as a overtly political figure. But you can even see from his very birth oh, that's true. that 
the political, the political uh, realm understood him to be a threat. Right. And they weren't wrong. Mm-hmm. You see mm-hmm. that you know when he's born, immediately Herod tries to stamp him out, is unable to do that. Now they've finally been able to do what they tried to do in the beginning, which is kill this man who is the new king. Mm-hmm. Now even though Jesus never really uh, politicized outwardly what he was doing, what he did had with it tremendous political implications at that time there was no real gap between religion and politics. Mm, The way that you practiced your religion had very deep political meaning to it. You had to, if you were in certain provinces, you had to give religious homage to the emperor, Mm -hmm. to the Roman, to Caesar. Mm -hmm. You had, there were certain, um, you know, religion basically infiltrated every area of life, uh, including politics. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, He's preaching a new kingdom coming, okay. a new kingdom that's coming, right? That's political in in, his, in language at least. He's also he he distanced himself from the political uh, dealings of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and even the Zealots. These were different factions who yeah. were all kind of seeing the will of God in this current climate to cause them to act certain ways politically. So the Sadducees had a way of reconciling their conception of God with their political affiliations. The Pharisees were the same. They they were trying to use the Torah in order to um, basically uh, push the hand of God to do something uh, and to protect them and to deal with the Romans. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Zealots were trying to basically stir up uh, the kind of Messiah, the the, the era of the Messiah to come. Uh, and they were trying to sort of uh, establish for themselves a kingdom, mm-hmm. their own uh, politically, politically and religiously distinct kingdom, mm-hmm. and to violently push out any opposition to that. Mm-hmm. So they all had their different ways of saying, this is how religion and politics blend. Okay. okay. And so there's no way that Jesus can come into that scene and not have his words carry political weight. Yeah, because it was you, all around him in that time. Like what you say religiously has an impact on like your, your political affiliations, I would say. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, and so they, that's, that's basically, you see the intertwining of it all. And the, when the case is presented to the Roman officials, to Pilate, they, they essentially buy into the idea that he was a, a national threat. Mm-hmm. He was a, mm-hmm. a political threat. Now, when you read through the Gospels, you see that, that Pilate's very hesitant to have anything to do with Jesus. He wants to be rid of him. He, doesn't, he, doesn't, he understands that there's really biased motive behind all of this. Yeah. But he concedes in the end. Mm-hmm. And the, the Roman soldiers certainly kind of lean into the mockery of Jesus. Uh, and you can say it's a misunderstanding of him as a rebel, but is it really? Because, again, what he was saying and how he was acting kind of put him on this collision course mm-hmm. with the world. Mm-hmm. And you can say that if they did, they did certainly at certain points in his life perceive him as a political threat, like you see Herod, he understands him to be a political threat. Uh, the, they recognize that is, you know, the reason they crucify him at all is because they, they can kind of concede that he is, he's saying things he shouldn't. When you look at church history, they were right. Like, Rome was totally, radically changed because of Christianity. Mm-hmm. The political system, the religious system was flipped entirely Oops. because of Christianity. <laughs> yeah. 
They weren't wrong. I think it's also interesting because in a lot of the gospel stories, when Jesus goes off and does a miracle, um, he tells people, hey, keep quiet. And like, there's different reasons as to why he does that. But I think at one point there's a crowd that comes in and they're like about to crown him king. Mm-hmm. So it's like everyone around him was was hearing his message and yeah, associating with like something political. So, exactly. so yeah, once we see that and we're like, yeah, like it's almost as if it made sense. Like if I'm in charge, it makes sense for me to want to get rid of whoever's trying to like put me to the side type of thing. So it's almost the, the crucifixion makes sense now. Like if, it, if this is a threat, then I want to get rid of it as the person in charge. Yeah, absolutely. And what the crucifixion and then resurrection, the way it comes together for us as Christians is that it again forces us into this way of seeing what Jesus Christ came to do. Mm-hmm. And there is a trial in a sense between Christ and Caesar. Like who do I who do I live for ultimately? The kind of way that religion was blended at that time from a Roman perspective was like you can believe whatever you want privately, but Caesar is king. Okay. Yeah. And even the early Christians when they would say Jesus is king, that was a deeply political statement. Mm-hmm. Saying Caesar is not king. Mm-hmm. Jesus is king. And so the, the, the cause of death being death as a rebel says that Caesar is king. Yeah, definitely. But then the resurrection comes back and says, Oops. Jesus is king. <laughs> you were wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jesus is the king. Mm-hmm. And so we need to live, even politically, as Jesus is king. Now, culturally, that's going to work out differently for each culture. But it shows that, at least for our culture, we need to be wary of anyone that will say, Oh, there's you know we need to keep our religion as a purely private thing, as if there's there's nothing to do for the Christian. There's no there's no nothing God would say for our political lives mm-hmm. and for our political allegiances. That's a complex question for sure. Once again, more Vegemite. <laughs> <laughs> more snacks. Than we need. <laughs> yeah. But the resurrection comes to show us that Jesus is not the rebel. Mm. Jesus is the true King. All other kings are the rebels. The ones who come up against God will show, will are shown to be utterly unable, unable to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, the way you're describing it now, like I think for the first time realizing that the resurrection makes us really look really stupid because we're <laughs> like, okay, he's not God, he's not King, and then three days later, yes, he is. And it's like, oops, yeah. like we got we got so many things wrong, like we. Yeah, we just, um, something happens culturally and you're like, let's get rid of this, which is, um, when you look at it one way, it seems to make sense. Once again, when the vindication comes, it's like, oops, I think we were wrong. I think we need to reevaluate and reassess what's going on here. We can't just do away with it. We need to ask ourselves some really deep questions. Absolutely. And then the biggest one of all is, how does Jesus deal with his own death? And mm. under what lens is he living out his, his death? Mm-hmm. And we actually have, you know, we have the, the eyewitness accounts yep. of what Jesus was going through at that time of death. And it seemed that the most, the most um, distress, the, the cause of the agony and pain that he was under was not because he was being labeled a blasphemer or because he was being labeled a rebel, but because he felt that he was forsaken by God. Mm. That's, that's the third, the third uh, cause of death that we okay. can look at is... Okay dying as one forsaken by God. All the way throughout Jesus' ministry, he's talking about his death. Like he mm-hmm. knew he was going to die. Mm-hmm. He knew it was coming. And so none of it caught him by surprise. But what we can say is it really deeply affected him. And 
there's a question as to why, because it doesn't line up with the death of many, many martyrs and other, you know, tragic religious figures who have died, you know, trying to start their cause. Often the way their deaths are depicted is very noble, very stoic, uh, very hopeful. The death of Jesus Christ, uh, particularly in the earliest Gospels, like Mark, they they really have this barefaced display of the agony that Jesus was going through. And it wasn't physical agony, it was spiritual agony. Mm -hmm. Like he is he is internally in torment over it. And so that needs to pick up our attention too. Yeah. Because that that in that we see the real, real Jesus's most uh, present um, response to his death. This is what's really hurting him the most. And when you look over the context of his life and ministry, we can see why. Like if he if he considers himself forsaken by God, this is the man who has all the way throughout his ministry uh, spoken about the the nearness of God, mm. the grace of God. He almost exclusively refers to God as my Father. Mm-hmm. This is a person who sees God as near and as dear and as intimate. He's the one who's done beautiful miracles, showing the the power of God to overcome all kinds of challenges. And now he is the one who is dying helpless, completely devoid of all miracles, crying out in agony as he as he feels the distance of God from him. He feels utterly abandoned and rejected by God. And he dies this way. He dies as one who has been essentially rejected and cursed by God, the way that you would expect a blasphemer to feel, mm-hmm. someone who, who was truly cursed by God. What's interesting is that like a few, I guess, hours or so before his death, he's like, oh, Father, is there like another way that we can yeah. do this? And like essentially the, the answer to that question is no, like you're, it's almost like God saying like, yes, I am going to um, abandon you here and forsaken you here. And like, yeah, the rest of the story unfolding is like Jesus, ex- Jesus responding to that, to that forsakenness. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And what I think is very interesting for us, if we put ourselves in the, the, the jury box once again, that question that Jesus asks in Mark chapter 15, verse 34, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer to that question is the job of salvation theology. Why did God forsake Jesus? The way that we answer that question is basically the, the root of how, how we see salvation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why is it that Jesus died forsaken by God? Why did God do that? Yeah. Yeah. The answer to that question is the basis of, of salvation. I think the answer to that question says a lot about like what you're doing with the facts that are presented to you in a way. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's a lot to do with who Jesus was. Like you look at the man, his character, you look at the way that he perceived his own death as well. And then obviously you bring the resurrection into it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he dies as God forsaken, but then he is raised again as the righteous one, the, the one who was true, the true king the true representative of God. So what was going on on the cross then? Right. It's, you know what, it's actually confusing because it's like, yeah, the cross is the most 
gruesome, brutal, ugly, inhumane way to get rid of someone. And like, you're just so struck by that. And then you're like, wait, what's going on three days later? Like it's the, yeah. the resurrection is really confusing in a sense because it's like you, I, I've, I said this not too long ago, but yeah, you have these facts that are presented to you, but all of a sudden like something else happens. It's yeah. like, what do we do now? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I think we, when you, when you get to know your Bible really well, you get to really see that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb, mm. the one who would die on behalf of, of someone else. The, the, the lamb was slaughtered uh, and as being slaughtered, considered sort of accursed by God, killed essentially by God in order to secure forgiveness for, for God's people. It's almost like you're saying that in order for us to reconnect with God, um, someone or something or some animal had to be slaughtered. Yeah, and that was an Old Testament picture. Yeah, okay, but it ma it, it makes sense that like now that that happened, okay, yeah, Jesus is the one who's like behind that picture and everything. Exactly. Okay. okay so okay. even even in the Old Testament, in the writings we have, they were they understood that this was symbolic. Mm. They understood that there wasn't really uh, any real good. Uh, any kind of real spiritual transaction that was going on at that point. Okay, yeah, yeah. They, they, they understood, like, this is God, like, what's the death of an animal going <laughs> to do for this? But it's only when Jesus comes and then you see, you see the man who dies this way, but then is raised this way, mm. you realize, oh, hang on, he's the sacrificial lamb. Mm. He's the one who dies for the sins of, of his people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in order to bring forgiveness to them. And I think what it means to be a Christian then is to actually begin to personalize the death of Jesus. The ultimate answer to the question, did Jesus uh, die because he was a blasphemer, because he was a rebel, because he was accursed for, by God? The, 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 the answer that is distinctly Christian is he died for my sin. Mm. He died as the one, yes, accursed by God, but a curse for God because of me. He died in my place. Mm -hmm. When you want to answer the question, who killed Jesus? Jesus willingly died for you. You're the one. Your sin was upon his shoulders. He was dying in your place. He lived the life you should have lived. He died the death you should have died in order to, to bring freedom to you. What, what I think is interesting is that like when you start to personalize it, like how many times in my life do I be like, I'm king, like I'm in charge, I'm the one who's in charge, and like that is sinful, it's, it's sinful for me to be like, hey, I'm the one who knows how to run my own life, and I'm the one who knows more than God about all of this, and I'm God in this like scenario or whatever, it's sinful to do that, um, and so the, the consequence of that is like being cursed by God, being rejected by God, but then I don't have to live under that because of because Jesus paid that consequence that should have been like for me to deal with but he did that himself so yeah yeah, yeah when we are when we're part of what it means to be a Christian is to be to, to have our hearts cut up mm. by this reality mm -hmm. <clears throat> not that Jesus just died for sin but he died for my sin mm -hmm. that we own it personally we see then in that Sin isn't just a breaking of the law. Sin is the, a breaking of God's heart. Right. Sin is so is grievous because it, it 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 breaks God's heart. And what led Jesus Christ to the cross 
was the fact that he, like, what led him to the cross was my sin and his love. Mm. And when I look at the cross, I should see, first and foremost, one who is held there, not by nails, but held there by love. Mm. And he's doing it because it was the only way, like you said, it was the only way that Jesus could have us with him. Mm -hmm. He does it for us. Mm -hmm. And that should be a, it's a life-transforming truth because we realize that the one who loves us so deeply has suffered on our behalf. Mm-hmm. And it purchased for us forgiveness, purchased for us grace and freedom from sin. It's uh, the, meaning, the meaning of his death is you. I know someone who just recently, after years, like figured, kind of figured this out, like everything you're talking about, and they're like, what do I do? <laughs> like this is, yeah, like this person is just like really so happy to know that like, you are that love like yes it's my sin that put jesus on the cross um but instead of like yes i'm cut up by that obviously but it's like wow like he loves me that much like it's incredible to realize that like we are that loved um, mm-hmm. loved enough that someone would take our place just so that we could be reconnected to god like it's it's amazing it really does uh, change yeah. you so yeah. and we could keep talking and talking and talking about this it's it's not just intellectually fascinating, yeah, exactly. but it's spiritually stirring as yeah. well. Yeah, even like in terms of emotions, like I'm saying, this person is like, ah, this is yeah. amazing, and it is, it is, it like is it is amazing. supposed to stir you up, you know? So, yeah. yeah. But uh, we better cut it off there. Okay. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, and thanks everyone for listening as well. Obviously, if you have more questions about this, uh, reach out to us. We'd love to answer any questions or just uh, refer you to different resources as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a really good, good conversation. Thanks, Jess. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the sandwich and thanks for the talk. <laughs> Bye, guys. Take care.